0: In the next chapter, God told Abram to take his wife Sarai and leave his, father as, his father's house and go to a place that God would lead him to. God told Abram that he would bless Abram and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Abram obeyed God and took his wife, but he also took his nephew, Lot. And they left Abram's father's house in Haran. Abram was 75 years old when he did this. Back in Genesis eleven twenty-six, it says that Ter- Terah was 70 when Abram and his two brothers were born. Chapter 12 tells us Abram was 75 when he left the city of Haran. So that means Terah was 145 years old when Abram left, and Terah died at 205. God told Abram the whole world would be blessed through him and his descendants. God didn't give him the details, but his lineage was chosen to prepare for and begat many years later through a young virgin named Mary the Son of God. He was to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world for all who would believe in him. He would be raised from the dead and in the fullness of time is to be the King of Kings, the ruler of all. Abram followed God's command and believed God's promise starting when Abram was 75 years old. God told him, He would make a great nation from him. Someone else might not have had the faith in God that Abram had. Abram was 75 and Sarah was 65, and they had never had children. Another couple might have thought they were too old to start having kids. It wasn't like the old days before the flood, when people were procreating into their hundreds, Even if it was, if they hadn't been able to bear children up to the current age, the odds were it just wasn't gonna happen. But they had complete faith that God would make it happen for about 10 years. Then they decided that God needed a little help. Sarah had a servant named Hagar. Hagar was a younger woman, young enough to bear children. Sarah knew God, had told Abraham he would become the father of many, but she thought maybe she was too old to be the mother of any. She told Abram to have children by Hagar. Abram didn't disagree with Sarai. Hagar soon became pregnant. That was the beginning of conflicts between Sarai and Hagar. Hagar had always Hagar had become Abram's second wife because Sarai told her to, but she was still Sarai's servant girl, her slave. Hagar started to show contempt for Sarai. Hagar was going to be the one to have the honor of having a son for Abram. Hagar had a son, and they named him Ishmael. Ishmael was loved by Abram who planned that Ishmael would be his heir to all he possessed. Ishmael was the son, was not the son promised by God. When Abram was 99 years old, Sarai was 89, God appeared to Abram in a vision. God changed his name to Abraham because he would be the father of many nations. God changed Sarai's name to Sarah because he would make her the mother of many nations. 2048 years. When Abraham was 100 years old, his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, gave birth to their firstborn son, Isaac. Isaac was born 2048 years after God created the world. That was 48 years after the beginning of the third millennium. This changed the status of Hagar's son, Ishmael. Even though he was Abraham's firstborn son, he was not the son chosen by God. He was no longer the heir apparent. He was now a teenager and probably aware of his change in status. Sometimes teenagers misbehave. Sarah saw Ishmael mocking her son Isaac. She told Abraham to send Hagar and her son away because she didn't want Ishmael to share the inheritance with Isaac. Abraham didn't want to do that because he loved his son Ishmael. But God told him to go ahead and send them away. God told Abraham he would make a nation from Ishmael because Ishmael was Abraham's son. So Abraham sent them away and God took care of them. In Genesis 25, it is written that Ishmael grew up and became the father of 12 sons who became the princes of that many nations. Ishmael lived 137 years. Isaac was now Abraham's only son. God promised Abraham that many nations would come from Isaac. Abraham knew that what God said was true. Then when Isaac was a little older, maybe a young teenager, God gave Abraham a disturbing command. In Genesis 22, God told Abraham, Take your only son Isaac, whom you love, to the mountains of Moriah. When you get there, I will tell you the mountain to go to, where you will offer up your son Isaac to me as a burnt offering. Abraham obeyed God's command. As they were going up the mountain to make the sacrifice, his son Isaac said to his father, we have the wood and the fire to light it with, but where is the lamb that we are going to sacrifice to God? Maybe the boy thought his father, who was more than a hundred years old, was being forgetful about the details. Abraham replied that God would provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He wasn't lying. He really believed God was providing the lamb for the sacrifice, even if the lamb was his son. When they got to the place God told him to go, Abraham gathered some big rocks and built an altar. He put the wood on the altar. Then he bound his son and laid him on the wood on the altar. He raised his knife above his son's body. God interrupted him. God said, don't do it. Now I know that you fear God and did not withhold your only son from me. Then Abraham looked and saw a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham took it and offered it to God on the altar in hebrews eleven seventeen through nineteen concerning the same incidents, it is written that Abraham believed God when he said that Isaac would be the father of many nations. Therefore, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. In a sense, that is what happened because Abraham received Isaac back alive from the altar. Isaac was sentenced to death and God provided a substitute to die for him. This was a picture of Jesus, son of God. God gave his son to die for us. Then God raised him from the dead. He died in our place. He is alive. And we have to do, all we have to do is believe in God instead of believing the lies of the serpent. Sarah died at the age of 127. Isaac, now 37, mourned for his mother. Abraham mourned for Sarah. After three years, Abraham decided to arrange a marriage for his son Isaac. He sent his servant back to the land he came from. He, uh, we leave the book of Genesis for a moment and look at the book of Job. Job, suffering and God's presence. Moses wrote Genesis, which tells of creation. Job tells of a time before Moses, the book of Job when men served as the priests for their own families and lived long numbers of years. The author of Job is unknown. Some scholars believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible written before Moses wrote Genesis, though it tells about events that happened later. Job might have lived about the same time Abraham lived, or maybe later. The detailed account of the conversations in Job seems to be evidence for the book being written soon after the events that were told about. So it was a long time ago, and Job was a good and godly man. He was a rich man. He had seven sons and three daughters. His sons would take turns each on his day at his own place, hosting a feast, a party, inviting the other brothers and the sisters to join them. Job didn't go to these parties, but after each party, he would offer sacrifices to God on their behalf, just in case they had sinned and offended God. Job was a good man. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul tells us, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. In Job 1, we see the ruler of all those evil spiritual rulers talking with God. Satan shows up, and God asks him what he has been up to. Satan tells God he has been walking around on the planet Earth We know that is not the whole truth because Satan is a liar. He lied to Eve. In John 8, 44, Jesus said, Satan is the father of liars. Satan was doing what he continues to do. He causes trouble for mankind. He hates us because we are made in the image of God. Satan told God, you blessed Job if all those blessings are taken away then Job will curse you and God told Satan that everything Job owned was in Satan's power but he was not to lay a hand on Job himself and Satan left the presence of God in verses 13 through 19 we see that Satan what Satan did to Job's possessions Job's oxen and donkeys were stolen And the servants who were watching the livestock were killed, except the one who escaped, to tell Job. The fire of God came from heaven and burned up all Job's sheep, and the shepherds, except for the one who escaped, to tell Job. The camels were all stolen, and the camel herders were killed, except the one who escaped, to tell Job. At this point, Job had lost everything but his family and the servants who told him about the calamities. But then came a servant from the house of Job's oldest son. The oldest son was having a party. All his brothers and sisters were there. Then came a big wind from the wilderness. Maybe it was a tornado. The wind hit the house and it collapsed and everybody in the house was killed except the servant who escaped and told Job all about it. Satan orchestrated the whole thing. We don't know what the fire of God is, but Satan had access to it. Maybe it was from a nearby volcano. Maybe it was a fiery killer asteroid. And it looks like this. in this case, Satan was able to send a killer storm Though I don't believe that in general Satan controls the weather, but Satan put it all in sequence with a climax of killing Job's sons and daughters. But Satan didn't kill Job's wife. I think maybe Satan wasn't allowed to kill Job's wife in Genesis two twenty-four. It says, "A man and his wife are one flesh." So if Satan wasn't allowed to hurt Job's body then he wasn't allowed to hurt Job's wife. Job worshipped God. He didn't kill himself, but he was ready to die. Satan lost the contest. Job did not curse God. In chapter 2, we see that Satan went back to present himself before God. God asked him what he'd been up to. Satan said he had been walking around on the planet Earth as before. He didn't tell the whole truth. God knew. He started bragging about Job. What a good and righteous man he was. Even though Satan had tried to destroy him. And still, Job did not curse God. Satan said, skin for skin. A man will give anything for his life. You touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. God said, He is in your hands, but save his life. Satan left the presence of God. So Satan gave Job boils all over his body. Job used a broken piece of pottery to scrape those painful boils while he sat on a pile of ashes. His wife felt pain just watching him. She was also in mourning for the death of their children, but she had not been afflicted with sickness like Job was. She wanted Job to be out of his misery. He looked like he was dying. She was already upset with God, and it looked like God was tormenting her husband. If only his pain would end. She knew Job wouldn't kill himself. Maybe she thought that if Job would curse God, God would go ahead and kill him and put him out of his misery. Maybe the devil told her to say it. She said to Job, curse God and die. Job told her she was speaking like a fool. He didn't call her a fool, but said she was speaking like one of the foolish women. He said, should we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? He still didn't curse God, as Satan said he would. Job's ordeal wasn't over yet. Three of his friends arrived to comfort him. Their names were Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. They saw him and his misery, and they cried. They sat with him for a week without saying anything. Then Job spoke and cursed the day he was born. That started the conversation. Job's friends gave well-intentioned advice, but it was not comforting. Eliphaz told Job that God only punished people who sinned against God. We see from reading the Bible that God is in control, so we understand the logic of Eliphaz. Job knows he can offer no defense. At this point, he says, there is no mediator. In 1019, Job says, He should never have been born. He said he should have been carried from the womb to the tomb. In Job 13, 15 through 16, Job says of God, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet I will maintain my way before him, before me. He will be my salvation. In chapter 16, Job says, he, was a wit- he has a witness in heaven, and an advocate up there. He wants to plead to God. He has trust in God, and is looking for Jesus, though he doesn't yet know the name of Jesus. He, he has described a witness and advocate in heaven, that would be Jesus. In the latter part of chapter 19, Job knows his Redeemer lives, Job says he will see his Redeemer with his own eyes even after he dies. God uses our suffering to draw us closer to him. In Job 42, Job repents of his anger against God. In the rest of chapter 42, we see that God criticized Job's friends for criticizing Job. God told them to make an offering for themselves and Job. God restored the fortunes of Job. Twofold after Job prayed for his friends. He was twice as wealthy and had seven more sons, three more daughters, and lived another 140 years. Let's go back to the book of Genesis and where Abraham arranges a marriage for his son Isaac. Here Abraham is telling his chief servant, the manager of the household, to not get his son Isaac a a wife from among the Canaanites, but to go back to Abraham's land and his family to find Isaac a wife. In our day, a man finds his own wife, though he might be strongly influenced by other people. Here's Abraham who is taking that responsibility for his son and delegating it to his chief servant his son isaac is 40 years old that's genesis 24 20 and not married he is still grieving for his mother who died three years before at the age of 127 genesis 23 1. abraham also misses her but thinks it is time for his 40 year old son to get married and get out of the house God had told Abraham to leave that previous land and his family. The people of that land, including the family Abraham came from, did not worship the one true God. In Joshua 24, 2, God says that Terah and his family worshipped other gods. And as far as ethnicity, Abraham told his servant to go to Abraham's family to find a wife for his son same family same ethnicity abraham had married his half-sister sarah they had the same father but different mothers that's what he told king abimelech in genesis 2012. more than 20 years before he met abimelech abraham played a trick on pharaoh telling him that sarah was his sister Now, he had done the same thing with Abimelech. King Abimelech fell in love with Sarah. At that time, she was 89 years old and pregnant. Maybe she wasn't showing yet, but her complexion had that healthy glow that a pregnant woman has. So the king fell in love. He took Sarah to be his wife and gave Abraham some wealth in exchange. Then God told Abraham in a dream that if he touched Sarah, no, God told Abimelech in a dream that if he touched Sarah, he was a dead man because she was married. The king sent her back to Abraham along with some more wealth. So Abraham had married his half sister and he wanted Isaac to marry one of his cousins. So the servant went to that family to find Isaac a wife. God often told his chosen people to avoid intermarrying with other people, but that was about getting into the company of idol worshipers, not about skin color. I can remember only a couple of places in the Bible that say much about skin color in a marriage. In Song of Solomon 1, verses 5 and 6, his beloved says she is black because she had to stay out in the sun tending the vineyards. In chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, she says that he is white and ruddy. I googled ruddy, and it refers to one's complexion. One has a reddish, healthy glow, a lot of youthful vigor, or maybe just sunburn. In Numbers, chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron spoke against their brother Moses because he married an Ethiopian woman. As punishment for speaking against Moses, God gave Miriam leprosy. Now she was really white. In the last verse of Genesis 2, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. This was before they disobeyed God in chapter three. So God created them to go naked in the sunshine. If white folks go naked in the sunshine, they get sunburned. So God must have made Adam and Eve with dark skin. We are all descended from Adam and Eve and later from the family of Noah. Some of us have lost our color and some haven't, but God made us all. We are all distant cousins. And it's okay to marry your distant cousin. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servants went to a well outside the city where Abraham used to live. He went to the t- at the time of day that women go out to the well to fetch water to take home. He asked God to show him the woman he had come for. He asked God to tell the woman to offer to give water to him and his camels abraham's servant prayed a specific prayer and god answered it in every detail rebecca was a virgin a beautiful young woman and willing to be of service to this man she had never met she gave him water to drink then drew water for all his camels drawing water for a herd of thirsty camels probably took a while one camel can drink a lot of water when it is thirsty Rebecca had to be in good physical condition to do all that work. So she was a beautiful young virgin and strong enough to water a herd of camels. Maybe her family was hesitant to marry her off because she was such a good worker. (laughs) Otherwise, she would have been married off already in that culture where her parents arranged marriages for their children. She might have been in her late teens or early 20s. And it turned out she was Isaac's cousin. She was a granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Abraham's servant asked her if he and his caravan could spend the night. Rebecca said they were welcome. The man prayed and thanked God and worshipped him for answering his prayer. God provided the way to advance his covenant promises. In Genesis twenty-four, sixty-seven, it says, Isaac took Rebekah into his mother's tent, and she became his wife. No wedding ceremony was mentioned. They went into the tent, and they were married. Today, we might call that a common-law marriage. This verse brings up a question in my mind. Why did Isaac's mother have her own tent instead of sharing one with Abraham? Well, she was getting on in years. Maybe she just needed a place to get some sleep while her husband stayed up late with the hired hands to discuss the events of the day. Maybe she always had her own tent. Decorated with a feminine touch. It was probably next to the main tent, which served as an office and meeting place for Abraham and his workers. Her tent was close enough to his tent for she and her husband to have some private time together. Now that she passed away, her tent was a good place for Isaac to consummate the marriage with his own new wife. Abraham was 140 years old when Isaac got married. He did his part in God's plan. He begat Isaac and was willing to give him back to God at a sacrifice, trusting God to raise him from the dead foreshadowing God's sacrificing his own son to die for us and be raised from the dead. Abraham was willing, but didn't have to go through with the sacrifice. Then years later, Abraham made sure Isaac didn't marry a woman from the Canaanite idol worshippers, but from the idol worshippers in Abraham's own family. His own family must have had some good traits that the Canaanites lacked. <clears throat> After he got Isaac married off, Abraham still felt the need to beget more offspring. Maybe he was still trying to help God to bless the world through the offspring of Abraham. Maybe he was concerned because his son Isaac was married for 20 years before finally begetting offspring. Genesis 25 tells us Abraham got married again and had many children. Verse 7 says that abraham lived 175 years when he when he died isaac's twin sons jacob and esau were 15 years old isaac and his half brother ishmael buried their father in the in the cave that sarah had been buried in at that time isaac was was 75 years old and ishmael was 89 years old